the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today. Hope you had a fine weekend. And I did. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation, I got a question for you. This is on my mind. I went to the Town Hall 2023. We advertised it on our program. It's on our sister station. It's promoted by our sister station, which is the conservative media station, The Answer 870 here in uh, uh, Los Angeles. And uh, it is also in San Diego. At, what is it? The Answer 1170, I think. I might have that wrong. You guys can uh, like tell me if I have that wrong, just off the top of my head. But uh, And uh, also East County, right? So there are um, East County, uh, Inland Empire. Is it an empire? The Inland Empire? How often do you think of the Roman Empire versus the Inland Empire? Anybody? <laughs> I used to live in the Inland Empire. Anyway, so here's here's what I was thinking about. What does it mean for the Christian to be in the arena, meaning in the area where there is a battle to be fought for a worthy cause? Do you know what I mean? There is one of the best quotes ever from Teddy Roosevelt, and he said this. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errors, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat? It's a powerful quote there. Teddy wrote, he probably didn't even write that down, if you follow. He probably just had that off the top of his head because he thinks about those things. And, you know, one of the things I, I think about when you go to more of a secular, for better, I wouldn't even call it really secular. It's not, actually. It's In fact, it's very spiritual, the things that we're talking about these days, because so much, of, even in our politics, we're talking about things like... Uh, you know, right and wrong. We're talking about moral issues, maybe in ways that we've never talked about them before. There, and that's something that I got out of this is that there was an awful lot of conversation about right and wrong, an awful lot of conversation coming from uh, the panels. The panelists at this event were the national Salem talk show host. So Dennis Prager is there. Mark Levin is there. Charlie Kirk was there. Uh, Officer Brandon Tatum is there. And, you know, they're giving their insight to everything. And, you know, I I sat there uh, enjoying it. By the way, I think you should go to these things. I think you should go as a, as a believer. I think you should go with the thought that it isn't just about 
partisanship. It is about what's right or wrong. How do you be in the arena as a Christian? This has been on my mind a lot. How do you really do it? Because there are some people who say, well, you know, as a Christian, maybe we just stay out of it, you know, altogether. And then other people are so far into it, it becomes so partisan. And you'll find people on the left and right, you know, within the scope of people who call themselves Christian, who you don't really see Christ as an issue one way or the other. It's more about does my party win or does your party win? You know, how do you figure this out? When you think about this idea that the person who is actually in the arena, what does that mean for Christians? 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number. I like this statement of Teddy Roosevelt I just read because you you have to get in there and not do nothing. You have to be a part of it. And you can't just be angry. See, and that's the other thing is that I, I meet a lot of people at these things. And I love the conversations that I have with people because there are people who go to these things who are at political stuff all the time, right? That's what they do. Uh, they, are, they are at all these things. And most of those people are really great. They've been in a fight for a long time. They really care. And they care about the big issues. They care about the, care about the country. And they care about uh, other other things. You know, it is... And then you meet some people who they care about something that is kind of off to the side, you know, and maybe they're right. They might have a point about something, but no one votes on that issue, right? That's not going to win. Let me tell you something here. I'll make a, a political prediction here in the 2024 election. The Republicans will win big, probably, if the issues that are front and center are immig- – Uh, immigration, inflation, crime, education, particularly parents' rights, things like that. I think that will uh, lead Republicans probably to victory. But if the – that's if the election were held right now. Another thing in politics, by the way, is a year from now, it could be completely different, right? Maybe the economy is better. Maybe they closed – you know, fixed the border issue. There's so many things that can change in, you know, 13 months before the election. Um, uh, that's an eternity in politics. But let's just say it's now. Republicans probably this time around win because people vote with their wallets. People vote with the very you know, clear issues of the day. But Republicans will lose, for example, if the main things being talked about are, are what's happening in Donald Trump's court appearances or is it Biden's corruption? Yeah, he might be corrupt and he'll probably be impeached before then. And he'll you know if nothing changes, he'll be impeached and then the Senate will vote to acquit. And it'll sort of be out there. But people don't usually vote on that. Like what? That's the interesting thing. How do you stay focused on things that matter the most? See, I feel like if you want to be a Christian in the arena, too, you got to filter out what are the things that matter most to Christ? I think I think Jesus does care about our involvement in civic issues, uh, particularly when it has to do with the protection of people when it has to do with fighting for things that are true, you know, when you're protecting kids. I think that education, healthcare, I think those things are worth being in the arena for one way or the other. Some people are going to fight it out. Other people are going to give money. Other people are going to just make sure that they vote. But I, I do think there is a, a Christian place for this that's a, a place that may be hard to define. I think it's policy-based, and that's what I would tell you is that you know, what are the policies that you you support? Forget the R's and D's and the specific candidates. You know, what policies do you support when it comes to issues like homelessness and things like that? We've got to do something. We can't just keep it the same. Drug use. What policies do you actually think are good? Do you think it's possible for somebody or good for somebody to get sober? 
Do you believe it's possible? And I'll tell you, and I say that, and there are some people I've talked to. I talked to a social worker a little while ago, and she just said there's no hope for most people who are homeless because of the drugs and the mental health issues and other stuff. Maybe she's right, but I'll tell you something. As a Christian, I don't believe there's no hope. I don't believe there's ever no hope. I mean, ultimately, you have hope in Christ. But I think even in this life, you have hope in when you turn your hearts to Christ. And there is hope when people sacrifice for the benefit of others their their time and their influence and their finances in different cases, right? I think that these things need to be talked about and not ignored because things just get worse and worse. This first part of Teddy Roosevelt's quote, this is the Pastor Scott Show, by the way. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557, where he says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or whether the doer of deeds could have done them better. I think about that a lot when it comes to anything that is, it can be political and what's happening in the country, but this can happen in your own church, right? Or this happens in your school or in your workplace. You know, it's easy to complain. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback, right? It's easy to to point out the flaws of the people who lead us or the people who different things. I think that's easy. And you can even be right. You can be very right about it, but it's a completely different thing to do something about it. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the things I left with is I, I heard a lot of great statements and a lot of good ideas for how to focus in solving some problems. But I wondered who's the leader who's going to do that. I wondered, you know, who is the leader who is the person who not isn't the person who can just articulate what the problems are or articulate blame for the problems. But who is the one who actually says we're not going to get stuck there? that we're actually going to move forward. And here's the direction. And here's the policy that it needs to be. Here's what needs to be passed. And you've got to bring in the other party at some point. You know, Ronald Reagan, who I do think is one of the best presidents ever. And, you know, here we are 30 years later. There are people who try to attack him, you know, 35 years later. Can you believe that? Uh, different things. But if you live through that, then you know why he won every state but Minnesota. Some people think uh, he, he almost completely won Minnesota. He almost won everything. Uh, You know why there was so much unity in the country? He got 60% of the vote. Nobody gets that, just about. The reason is, is and the interesting thing is, he worked with Democratic Congress. He was a Republican president who worked with the Democratic Congress. Uh, There is something to the ability to not just articulate the whys for what we need to do but somebody who can lead to the victory on those things. And you might have to have some compromise here and there, but generally it's successful. You know, Bill Clinton, whatever you thought of Bill Clinton, whenever the Republicans took over Congress in 1994, Bill Clinton became the balanced budget president. I don't think he supported a balanced budget amendment. That was one of the things there, but he got on board with the whole idea that we have to quit spending more money than we have. And he, along with Republicans, actually balanced the budget. Uh, that is what we have to see happen. Otherwise, whatever happens in this election, we're going to go four years and there's going to be barely any progress and homelessness will get worse. Issues at the borders will get worse. Drug abuse will get worse. All of these different things will get worse. And, you know, something that is was a big part of this conversation is what kinds of things are secular. And I think that resonated with me a lot. The idea that, uh, you know, in the the political side of things, you know, Dennis Prager likes to say, 
and I'm not entirely sure that he's right, but he's he's basically right. He likes to say that only secular people will say that men can give birth. A lot of nuance to what you say there, right? But uh, only secular people, meaning that if you're religious, regardless of if you're a Republican or a Democrat or independent or whatever, that only secular people will say men can give birth. And his point is, is that you are one of the things that's happening in our country, and I would agree with this part, is that we are eliminating Genesis 1 through 3, not just in our country, but it's a, it's a global phenomenon, particularly in the Western world today. You're eliminating Genesis 1 through 3. If you get rid of Genesis 1 through 3, then you don't have any need for a creator, sort of doesn't matter. You don't have any authority to that creator, even if there is a creator. You don't have a fall. You don't have sin and the reason for it. You don't have male or female. God created them in his image. You don't have anybody created in the image of God. Human beings are just animals that are further evolved. The universe is just a bit of however it got here, nobody knows, but it doesn't actually have any meaning. If you get rid of Genesis 1 through 3, even a lot of theology in the Scripture falls apart. You don't have a need for a Savior. You don't have a promised Savior. You don't have all of this stuff. You know, it is an incredible thing to look at the world today, maybe from 30,000 feet, and realize that actually the secularization of the world, particularly of the West, is making an impact. The, And I think we have to be careful about that because there might be people who call themselves religious or Christian or other faiths who are very left in their thinking. I think that you can be somebody who is religious but actually be an atheist. I read a statistic the other day. I looked up, you know, what's an atheist from the standpoint of statistics? What do atheists believe? I was surprised that 18% of atheists believe in God, which is odd to me because isn't the only qualification for being an atheist that you don't believe in God? I thought that's what it meant. (laughs) And I think most atheists would say, yeah, that's what it means. But the the 18%, what they said in the surveys by Pew Research, they said that being an atheist means I reject the God of the Bible. I reject the Christian God but I'm open to the possibility that there's some other kind of higher power or God. And I thought that's really an incredible thing. Or almost one out of five people who say they're atheist, actually what they mean is they've rejected the Christian God, but they're open to some other kind of higher power or God. To me, that makes you not an atheist, right? I feel like that, that should disqualify you somehow, but, and it probably does, you know, maybe, but, uh, but not according to them. That's how they do it. But I think that that's something that's real for us. There's practical atheism. You do the stuff. You go to church. You read the Bible. Maybe you're in a small group. Maybe you go through routines of stuff. But when push comes to shove, a practical atheist doesn't really believe what they say. A practical atheist is the churchgoer who is there because of the fellowship, because they've always been there, because you know they enjoy the potlucks or whatever the, the stuff is that's going on from whatever personal value it has. But when push comes to shove, they don't really trust in Jesus. They don't really believe that. There was a scene in the uh, in the the Simpsons movie. You ever watch the Simpsons movie? I'm not saying that I recommend it, but I did laugh out loud in many parts of it. And if you have ever watched that program, there's a lot of stuff in there about Christianity. In fact, I have a book. It's called The Gospel According to the Simpsons, and uh, it's fantastic because it talks about how the Simpsons writers include church. Everybody in that town goes to church. The pastor in that church is very discouraged and kind of boring, but uh, the Simpson family lives next to a guy who really does, I think, believe in God, has a great relationship with God, Ned Flanders. Oakley, dokley, he says, and he's kind of nerdy and uh, gets on people's nerves, but 
you know, the Lord and him are pretty tight in that show. And it's interesting to think about what does the outside world think of Christianity and think of these. And it's those people have obviously who write that show. They've been to church. They've got some opinion about it for sure. Anyway, so in the movie, another part of the, the Simpsons program is there is a bar. It's Moe's bar that everybody goes into. Okay. So some of these people go into the bar and that's a, you know, one of the scenes and it's a cartoon. Okay. This thing, but there's a lot of social commentary in this show. In the movie, there's something happening where it's destroying the town. I forget that part of the plot, but the town is going to be destroyed. And the people, the scenes in the movie are people learning that their town is about to be destroyed and they believe they're going to lose their lives. They think everybody's going to die. And what happens is this, the screen, the, the camera pulls back, if you will, and it shows us that the church that everybody goes to is right next to Moe's Bar. And we never knew that before in the show, that they're next door to each other. And what you actually see is when the announcement is read that everybody's going to die and the TV in the bar comes on that says everybody's going to die, everybody in the church runs out of the church and they run into the bar. And everybody in the bar runs out of the bar and runs into the church. I thought that was hilarious. I laughed out loud at that. And I thought somebody's been to church. Now, that's certainly not true of everybody who goes to church or everybody's in a bar, but Whenever we find ourselves in that situation, we recognize, hey, there's something that we truly believe. You know, when push comes to shove, what is it that we truly believe? And that's where we go. That's where we spend our time. That's where we spend, you know, our, that's where our mindset is. That's who we actually are. And that just leads me to that question. What does it mean for a Christian to be in the arena? You know what the greatest, this is the Pastor Scott Show, by the way. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You know what the greatest endeavor ever given in the history of the world is? The greatest thing that human beings have ever been asked to do. We've seen some great things. You know, when you get into the story of D-Day and the invasion of Europe in World War II, and the risk that that was, and everything that's behind that. It's an amazing story. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again, because now we have radar and we have satellites, and I don't know that that kind of invasion will ever happen again. I think we're going to have wars where there's a lot of missiles and a lot of you know things coming from all sorts of different directions. Maybe at the end of it, you get uh, that kind of uh, invasion. I mean, obviously, you're seeing that in Ukraine and some other places, but you, but the kind of secret, the secrecy is what I mean, is that, you know, we knew for days that uh, uh, Putin was going to invade Ukraine. Troops were all lined up. Everybody saw it. In uh, D-Day, you didn't know, right? The Germans, they, they expected it to come, but they didn't know from where, they didn't know what day, and they couldn't see, right? Now, that that's over with. Um, but that's a great endeavor. You go through history, and there's other great endeavors that people have set out to do. But you know what? The greatest endeavor ever given to mankind is to make disciples. Did you know when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded? And then he promises to be with us, by the way. We're not to do that alone. It's a great co-mission. We're with him. That's the greatest thing ever given human beings to do, regular people like you and me. And you know what? Those guys did that. The people who heard that, they went out and they accomplished that. I read this statistic one time that said that at the time of, uh, right before Pentecost, there was only maybe 300 believers, I think is what it was, and then it went up to 3,000, a little more than that. But basically the statistic was at the beginning of the church, only one in 12 million people, whatever the population was of the earth that day, were Christian. One in 12 million. 
Today, depending on your statistic, it's either 1 in 12 or 1 in 8. And we're talking about not just people who claim to be Christian, not people who were born, you know, in some country and it's a Christian country and so you're a Christian, but they really don't know anything. It's the number of people who are confessing believers in Jesus Christ, who go to church regularly, who are part of a fellowship. One in 12, maybe even one in eight. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said to go and make disciples, there has been nothing else more successful. In spite of all the failures of the church, in spite of all the things that we've done wrong, in spite of all the troubles that have been out there. And whatever you think being in the arena means as a Christian, it has to be in that. See, if you if you take... Roosevelt's same thing. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. I'll tell you what, the most annoying people in church are the complainers. And sometimes the complainers are right, which makes them extra annoying. I had a guy come to me and uh, complain to me about all kinds of stuff. And he was super annoying because he was right about a lot of what he had to say. And then I asked him for help and he said, no, just wasn't going to do it. And he didn't, he didn't participate in anything. He just sat there, and his spiritual gift was complaining, apparently. Uh, that's wrong. That is just, just completely wrong. That person doesn't accomplish anything. I don't know what that person's going to do in front of the Lord. Uh, he didn't tell me anything I didn't know. He just pointed out uh, what all my flaws were, uh, which I was very well aware of. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again. You know what? You can apply all of that to discipleship, to sharing your faith, to being prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. And all this is to say is in the world we live in today where there's craziness, where we do need to get involved in the public square, at least on some issues, it matters greatly. We cannot forget that our actual goal is not to save the country. It's not to save California. I hope we do. I hope we save California. I hope that we turn the country around. I hope the whole world turns around. But that's not going to happen if we're not making disciples. You know that historically speaking? Because the reason you make disciples is so people get saved. It's not to save your country. But a byproduct of people making disciples is it makes your household better. It makes your community better. It makes uh, your city better. It makes your nation better. It makes everything better. It really, really does when it's true. And it's not just stated and it's not just religious activity, but it's people loving their neighbor as themselves. It's people loving God and loving people the way the Lord commands. Don't give up on that. That's what we're called to do. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And uh, when we come back, we will uh, talk about that in another context here. We have a new senator, apparently, and I think that there's some interesting things with that, too. All right, we'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Governor Gavin Newsom choosing the longtime activist and labor leader LaFonza Butler to take that vacant Senate seat by Dianne Feinstein. Now, Butler is currently the leader of Emily's List, which is an organization that supports Democratic women candidates who favor abortion rights. Butler also served as a Democratic strategist and advisor to Kamala Harris during her vice presidential campaign. 
Her appointment fulfills Newsom's pledge to choose a black woman to hold the Senate seat. Butler will be the only black woman serving in the U.S. Senate and first openly LGBTQ person to represent California in the chamber. And she could be sworn in as early as Tuesday. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. As you know, probably the Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away last week, and uh, some people have asked, but no, she is now actually not eligible to continue being senator or to run again. Uh, so Governor Newsom has the responsibility to appoint his her successor, and so this person who he's appointing will f- fulfill the rest of the term. The term ends in January of 2025, so that person will run for election or other people run for election this coming year. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Governor Newsom has said is that he only wanted to pick a black woman for the role. So he nominated LaFonza Butler. There's a lot of speculation over who that might be. Meghan Markle, some people said. You know, she is the the former princess who lives in Santa Barbara area, I think. Apparently she wants to run for uh, Senate. Are we just giving ourselves back to uh, England? Have we given up? I think maybe that's part of what's happening. But uh, Oprah, I'm not sure that Oprah Winfrey, she probably lives everywhere, though. How do you How do you do that? Uh, I'll bet Karen Bass would have been uh, would have thought about it anyway. She's too new, probably as mayor of Los Angeles, but she's been mayor long enough to know how hard that job is. Maybe she wants out. Anyway, uh, the governor can make his choice any way he wants. That's that's the way it goes. So he goes and he checks the boxes and he checks. Okay, African American check, woman check, lesbian extra credit gets extra credit, I guess, for that from a pro-abortion activist check. Uh, the funny thing is the box he forgot to check is lives in California because this person actually lives in Maryland. Uh, I think they have a history in California, probably still have a house. That's another weird thing politicians do sometimes is they rent a garage or they keep a residence somewhere and they don't live here. They don't live in the state. seems to me that you ought to live in the state. Aren't there other people that he could have picked to actually spend their time here who are aware of what the gas prices are and feel the pain of that? That's what I want in a representative, somebody who goes to the supermarket and feels the pain, somebody who goes to the pumps and feels what it's like to pay $7 a gallon for gas and who has a commute. That's what uh, that's what I'd like to see. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557, When it comes to residency, an interesting thing about California is that uh, she very well might be a legal resident. It will probably depend on where she pays her taxes, what she puts on her tax forms. And uh, California wants to keep taxing you wherever you move to. So uh, you might leave the state to escape California taxes, but... Be sure you do it right because uh, they're coming after you. You know, a lot of this is a game about identity politics, okay? But I think Newsom is more interested in the agenda that she has rather than a race. I think that's actually true because LaFonza Butler is a hardcore pro-abortionist. This is her speaking on this uh, earlier this year. It's important to elect more Democratic pro-choice women because the rights of women to make decisions about their own body are are under attack. The, what we knew to be the protection of the, Roe, the, the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade is no more. What we have now are states across the country preparing to and passing laws every single day that take away the rights for women to make decisions about their own bodies. And we see increasingly the demand for power and control over people's lives and futures 
in the hands of government. And we think that's wrong. We think that electing more Democratic pro-choice women will ensure that those decisions, those, um, that, those um, choices remain with families and women across the country. All right. So she has been the head of an organization called Emily's List. And the entire purpose of that organization is to elect Democrat women who are pro-abortion. And, you know, I think that's the reason. So the governor, he likes to say, well, I want to pick an African-American woman. Okay, but I'll bet that there were zero African-American women on the list who are pro-life or who maybe weren't strong. In fact, I think he picked somebody who is not just, you know, I don't think that the the color of her skin is actually the agenda. It's pro-abortion. And I think that's a place where the uh, Democrats think they're going to maybe win next year, and they might, because I've told you before, I'm a little skeptical about people when they go to the voters' booth. They say a lot of stuff, but I think we're a country who likes keeping its abortions. And, you know, you've seen uh, the pro-abortion candidate win in races that they probably would have otherwise lost in Kansas and Wisconsin and some other places. And I do find it very interesting that he picked somebody who is hardcore on this subject, probably more than anybody else he would have picked. You know, frankly, this is what she does for a living. This is her job. This is what she is about. Identity politics is something that refers to the political approach or ideology um, where you focus on the interest and perspective of of whatever social group that you're interested in getting their votes for. Uh, This is something that we see across the board, but it's uh, driving the, the Democratic Party primarily. And, you know, some of it is it's not necessarily wrong, I think, to consider it. I mean, I think it's worthy to consider, hey, you know what? There are zero African-American women in the United States Senate. And shouldn't there be somebody in there who represents what black women go through, what black women have gone through in this country, the different things? There's, I think there's a reasonable thing to say about that. There's not very many black people in the Senate anyway. There's three men in the Senate, and uh, that's it. So I can you can make an argument for that cause. I think there's all kinds of reasons you might pick somebody to to serve in a certain capacity. I think, you know, in your company and whatever you do, you want a variety of perspectives. If you want to reach customers, if you want to represent people in the whole, you got to do that. But I think the real reason here, once again, is uh, abortion. That's the reason. And I think we, you know, for those of us like myself who are pro-life, who are glad that Roe versus Wade is gone, have to realize that the entire argument has shifted, that actually abortions are increasing because of the abortion pill now in the country, that the entire debate, the thing that has maybe occupied your thinking on that subject for so long is completely different now. It is by state, state by state. I doubt that there will be any federal law passed anytime soon. That's going to come up, but I doubt that you're going to see too much there. Maybe you'll see something. The problem we also have, and the problem with identity politics ultimately, is that it divides people. By the time you get down to it, everybody eventually is divided against themselves because you take whatever group of people and you find whatever social characteristics they might have. And it can be their race, but it can be their religion. It can be their sexual orientation. It can be you know, their education. It could be their wealth. It could be whatever you want to say. Eventually, when you say, I'm only going to pick these people or I'm going to carve out these people, you're also saying, I'm not going to pick the rest of these people. Right. So you eventually then you get into whatever that group of people is that you want to support and you say, well, I'm going to pick a black woman. But eventually I'm going to say, well, not all black women, only black women who are pro-choice. And then you say, and only black women who are not just pro-choice, but who are really advocates about this. 
And, you know, you start to narrow down this black women who are also lesbians. So maybe that was part of it. I think the governor likes to just sort of poke people in the eye with some of what he does. I think that is part of part of his shtick, you know, with uh, how he does politics. I take offense at our policies and strategies. And I think that's something that he likes to do. You know, that's when you get to how it divides people. If you want an example of it, look at how identity politics divides women now. So it's dividing women over trans sports, for example, real women versus trans women. And it's dividing people entirely on the left. It's dividing you know, people who now have to decide what is it that I believe about what a woman actually is. And do I go with the far left version where a man can give birth or a man can actually uh, participate in women's sports despite his biological differences? Do I, am I going to say that or am I not? That was a big conversation I had yesterday at Town Hall with a bunch of women, uh, many of whom said they're more on the moderate you know, uh, scale of things, saying, I just can't deal with the idea that as a woman, all the things I fought for, as one lady I was talking about, she's older, just all the things that I fought for are, are now being taken away. And I'm treated as nothing. Uh, that's how she felt. See, it just eventually divides and divides and divides. You know, when we say we're going to pick based on any characteristic, we divide everybody else. And that's ultimately what happens here. And when I think about that, too, something else for us to remember as Christians. All people come to faith in God the same way in Christianity, by faith, regardless of what your background is, regardless of what you struggle with, regardless of your income, regardless of your race, regardless of uh, anything else. We come to Jesus by faith, not by our works, not by what we've done. We come to Jesus, we get forgiveness when we acknowledge that he's our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the grave. That's something to keep in mind. And all this arguing that people are going to have about identity politics and all of the arguing that we have and the divisions that are just growing in our country. You know, Lincoln said it, but he borrowed it from Jesus. A nation divided against itself can't stand. That's the big issue for me. You know, I want who's going to actually bring us together, at least in the area of what are we doing as a, a nation? It matters, these things. The greatest unifier in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because everybody, rich or poor, in every country of the world, in every language, whatever your background is, you come to faith the same way in Christ. This is where, that's why our hope has to reside there. It cannot reside in what happens in Washington or Sacramento or who's going to win the upcoming election. It has to reside in Christ. Is that where yours is? Is that really what you believe if you're anxious about things, if you're anxious about the country and you're looking out? You know, focus on the place where the unity is in Christ. It matters because we're all the same. Everybody saved is going to be sitting at the same dinner table from all the different backgrounds. And Jesus died for your sins and the sins of somebody else that might be completely different than yours. Maybe that person's sins were very public. They were on the news or they were just something that they wore on their sleeve. But Jesus died for that. Maybe your sins are hidden and, you know, not something that everybody sees. Jesus died for you, too. Same way. Follow Christ. All right, we've got to take a break. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can follow us on social media. Just look for at Pastor Scott Show, and you can get the podcast of this and every episode. If you um, ever miss an hour of the show, just look for the Pastor Scott Show on your favorite podcast app. Click subscribe. You'll never miss a show. You can also watch us right now on kkla.com. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. 
You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Have you ever done something kind of stupid to try to get yourself out of a meeting or try to get yourself out of a class or something like that? Uh, Representative Jamal Bowman is being accused of pulling the fire alarm in Congress this weekend to uh, keep himself or the entire party from voting on an issue related to the government shutdown. Uh, do you still stand by your statement that pulling uh, the fire alarm was you know, I don't know why this has gotten so much attention. I was literally just in a rush to go vote, man. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid of any repercussions, either from leadership or from legally from Capitol Police? I, I mean, listen, I take responsibility for what I did, you know, but like I said, I was in a rush to go vote, and, uh, you know, the investigation will, will, will sort everything else out. He is uh, in a lot of trouble, actually. So the story is, is that he was trying to get into the Capitol. It was kind of locked. It's a Saturday. Not every door is open. And uh, I guess, you know, I don't know. Uh, And uh, he pulls the fire alarm and he said he thought it would open the door. This is a guy who used to work at a uh, middle school. And the fire thing on the door, you know, if you've seen a fire alarm in a building, right? It's, it's, It's a big red box and it says fire alarm on it. And you don't pull that thing. You just don't. Have you ever done this before? I got to be curious about it because he's getting accused and probably he might be in some trouble of deliberately disrupting a vote that that, that it was on purpose to get them not to vote. There's all kinds of politics and everything going on with this stupid, uh, you know, funding the government or not funding the government. Maybe we just ought to start cutting things back. Maybe we shouldn't fund the government at all for a little while. You know who Will Rogers was? Will Rogers was a, a long time ago, a famous... Um, he was a funny writer about government and politics. Uh, humorist is uh, what he used to say. He and he was his writings are hilarious and it's very contemporary, even though it's a hundred years ago. Uh, he says it's easy to be a humorist when you've got the whole government working for you. One time when President Harding uh, had a stroke, President Harding had a stroke. He eventually died of it. He was, but he was in bed for a couple of months, and. During the summer, it was during the summer. And so President Harding was not in the White House. And then during the summer, the House and the Senate uh, had their recess and they went back home to their districts and the Supreme Court was not in session. He said it was the most productive time in our government's history. Ah, That's a pretty funny line right there. Anyway, have you ever done anything to try to get yourself out of a meeting or out of a test or out of Share your story, 888-528-2557, I'll bet somebody listening has pulled a fire alarm before to try to get out of something, you know, or you've done something, you know, that interrupted the schedule. I was trying to think about that for myself. Have I ever done anything to try to get out of something? Uh, and I was thinking about this the other day anyway, because my son, John, is 11, and he's playing on a school flag football team. And he got to leave for an away game, and he got to leave early from school. Like, he got to leave at 2 o'clock. And he thought that was the greatest thing. And he said, you know, that's the best reason to play sports at my school is I get to get out of class early. And that reminded me, I remember that when I was playing sports in high school, that was the best reason to play sports maybe. We used to play games that were hours away. We drove from, took a bus sometimes from Lancaster to Bishop. It's like a four-hour bus ride. And you'd miss the entire day of school. It was fantastic. Uh, have you ever done anything to to miss your class to 
and maybe you just don't want to admit it because maybe your boss is listening, but maybe there's a meeting you just didn't want to happen at work, or maybe there's something going on and you just thought, you know what, I'm going to pull the fire alarm. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that sabotages that meeting. That's why this congressperson might be in a lot of trouble because if he if it looks like he did that to interrupt the vote, that's the same law essentially that all the January six people, not all of them, but the the nonviolent January six people are getting uh, charged with basically is disrupting a proceeding, and that's what it looks like he might have done. Uh, 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. I remember one time I had a science test I didn't want to take, and I can't remember what grade I was in, but I think I was in seventh grade, if I'm not mistaken. And we had this hot lunch program at our school. I don't remember how often it was. I think it was only once a month, once a month. And a couple of people would be picked to stay back after the lunch, and you had to clean up. That was your job. So I volunteered to do that. Usually it was kind of fun, but you usually just took over your lunch hour and you missed the recess or something. You had to do this anyway. So we're cleaning up in the gym at our school. That's where it was. And I didn't want to go back to class. And so what I decided to do was mop the entire gym floor. And I did. I mopped the entire gym floor. And I did not go back to class until school was out. And they never sent anybody for me. I'm alone in this gymnasium. I mopped the entire floor, and I got out of that science test. Uh, it was totally worth it. Do you ever do anything like that, Wilbert? Uh, yeah, in high school, I went to skip out on a math test, uh-huh. and I went to sorry, I went to a blood drive the school had. You gave blood. I gave blood in order to get out of math test. So your motivation was not really to uh, to help people who needed transfusion to get out of a blood test. Well, it was also because I was in a math class I didn't need when I was a senior. Uh-huh. <laughs> taking like a bunch of extra classes because I had enough credits and all that to graduate. So in order to get out of this test I didn't study for, I was like, hey, I'm going to go donate some blood. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll bet the uh, blood donation places will take any excuse, actually. They always need blood. Look, I blame the school. They provided the blood excuse. They brought the people in to do it for everyone. So I was like, I, I have to do my part, right? Right, exactly. That's what, And, you know, that's what I said because uh, I remember strolling back into class and uh, my teacher going, where have you been? And I said, oh, I had to mop the floor. There was a lot of ketchup and mustard all over that basketball court. I, the whole thing, I mopped that whole thing. It was a lot of hard work, completely worth it. Yeah, she. I mean, at the end, though, she made me reschedule the test anyway. Yeah, I knew I would have to retake it. And uh, the scary thing is I probably didn't study for it then either. That's the, uh, the the bad part. I think people do this kind of thing, though. I think people pull the fire alarm or they do weird stuff to get out of meetings. And uh, you can get a lot of trouble for that. I'm surprised I didn't get in trouble really for that. I'm really surprised nobody sent anybody. I guess for you, though, you had a good reason. Oh. Yeah, that's why she wasn't too mad. She was like, all right, you gave blood. Yeah, you know, what? Are, what's she going to say? Well, you get a zero on your test because you gave blood. If anything, extra credit. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly (laughs) what it should be. I don't know if this guy will get in any trouble or not, but I know there's people mad. There's some motion to uh, kick him out because they have to evacuate the whole building, right? So it's not just you hit the fire alarm and everybody says, don't worry about it. There's not a fire and they keep doing everything. No, they had to end everything and usher everybody out of the building. And uh, it's it's a big mess. I was in a hotel once where they uh, pulled the fire alarm in the middle of the night. Some somebody did it. Somebody staying there. And it was super loud, and they wanted us to all leave the bill, leave. I didn't leave. I, I suppose that's bad, but I did not leave my room. I poked my head out the door. I knew it was, and this was probably wrong. I don't recommend this, but uh, I was really tired. 
and I can sleep through almost anything. So that buzzer was going off and the flicking light in the room, and it was pretty terrible. They wanted everyone to leave. There was an announcement. I didn't know they could do that. They announced all the rooms, and uh, I guess somebody had just pulled the fire alarm. And if I remember right, there was all kinds of partying and stuff going on, so I wasn't even surprised. Uh, but I was tired. I need my sleep. I'm going to have to get it. 888-528-2557 is the number. You know, it is, there is a lot of pressure that we put on our life, but we just got to be responsible and uh, take our knocks as, as they come and uh, don't do anything stupid. That's uh, that's the ultimate rule. Don't do something so stupid that uh, is going to get you in trouble because you are uh, fooling around or you think you're going to get out of some kind of responsibility by some crazy thing. Uh, you're just not. I guess that goes right into even calling in sick, right? Do you call in sick when you're not really sick? Uh, I don't think I've done that. and uh, But I know people who do that all the time. Now, they, a lot of companies, they don't call it sick time anymore. It's, it's personal time because they don't want you to lie about it. You know what? If you need a day off, just say I'm taking a personal day. Don't call in and pretend to be sick if you're not. I know somebody who got fired because uh, they went to Disneyland uh, and they got caught because other people at the company went to Disneyland the same day with legitimate days off and saw her there. Uh, and uh, that was it for her. She got fired. I know another person who got fired <laughs> because she called in sick, but it was payday and she came in to get her paycheck. And she's hanging around with everybody, and, and uh, we didn't know that she was uh, supposed to not be there. But uh, management did. That was her last day. They gave her her last paycheck uh, with that. All right. I see your calls coming out. I don't know if I'll get to them. We'll see how it goes here, 888-528-2557. So, uh, oh, yeah, we're not going to get to your calls here. Okay. Hey, this is the Pastor Scott Show. We're on every single day from 3 to 5 right here on KKLA in Los Angeles and uh, KPRZ in San Diego and uh, wherever you're listening on your favorite radio app. What you can do is follow us on social media. Go to at Pastor Scott Show, Facebook, Twitter, or X. Instagram at Pastor Scott Show. Give us a follow right now and uh, then take part of our show and tell your friends about it. Use us on social media, however you'd like. And uh, we'd love to have you do that. You can also follow us on KKLA.com and watch a video of our show. We're live streaming every day. And you can get the podcast and subscribe. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe. And that's a great way to share the show and uh, connect with other people. All right. When we come back, I want to ask you this question. You can call now if you want to. Here's the question. What are you doing well spiritually rather than what are you struggling with? What are you doing great? What are you doing well? 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.